Welcome to the Construction User 2.0 from the Association of Union Constructors. In this podcast, we explore the latest labor trends, industry insights, and important issues in the world of construction. Join us for conversations with industry leaders, subject matter experts, and innovative visionaries as we discuss how we are building the world of tomorrow. Today's guest is Michigan State Senator John Cherry, the representative of the 27th District, the chair of the Michigan Labor Committee, and the champion of the union worker. His committee recently spearheaded a successful effort to repeal the right to work, which is a massive win for the unions in Michigan. Senator Cherry also enjoys hunting, fishing, and preserving our natural beauty in the state of Michigan. Welcome to our show. What is the last song that got stuck in your head that you just couldn't break free from? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, so <laughs> oh, this will, I, I expect this will give your listeners a laugh because so I have a six-year-old daughter. <laughs> There's some genie cartoon that she watches. She always wants to listen to the music from it. So whatever the theme song is for this genie show <laughs> on, on Paramount Plus, <laughs> geez, what is it called? I can't even remember what it's called, but it's these little girls singing about genies. <laughs> That's why. <what I, laughs> That's the last one that's been stuck in my head because it's been playing in my house for, you know, on repeat for the past three weeks. <laughs> As a father of, of uh, small girls myself, I will say that, yeah, those get stuck in your head and they just the, the, they just won't let go at yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when researching to, to talk to you, I saw, you know, your grandparents were members of the United Auto Workers and and you kind of came up in the in the union world. So. Like, tell me about the union impact in, in kind of your life and growing up. Yeah, well, well it, it, beyond just my grandparents. So, you know, my mom was an AFSCME member and president of her local. And my dad was the political director for AFSCME before he was elected to office. And then uh, actually, you know, in relation to the trades, his, his grandfather, my great grandfather, was actually an international rep for the Hod Carriers Union. Uh, in Michigan, the predecessor uh, to the laborers or Lyuna, you know, back in the 40s, uh, 1940s. So, I mean, we, I, I, and you know, and you, you grow up, so I'm from Flint, Genesee County. You grow up in Genesee County, which is really, and we view ourselves as the birthplace of the UAW, given the sit-down strike. I mean, the the connections to unions are very strong. I mean, we are, you have some sort of family connection to one union or another. In my case, it's it's a variety of them. I, I myself am a former UFCW member from college years, and uh, then when I worked at the DNR, uh, I was a SEIU member. So uh, lots of lots of unions in, in my family. And really, you know, I look at the experiences that I know about uh, from different family members and their and their experiences growing up. I think about my grandma, my mother's mother, who who worked at the shop as a UAW member. Well, she was a single mother raising three kids, and she was able to do that and provide uh, a good. Uh, childhood for her kids because she had a union job in Metal Fab, uh, one of the the plants here in in Flint. And you know, I think about you know, with my my great grandfather, the you know Hod Carriers Union. He died of a heart attack when my grandmother was young, and they they were able to get by because there were you know uh, benefit you know survivor benefits and 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 support that came. Uh, because of his of his job, so you come from strong union stock. I mean, both like it's it's a legacy. 
Right. And what it, what it does, what unions have afforded my family is economic security and the ability, ability for me to have opportunities when I grew up. Right. And for my parents to have ha- had opportunities. And, and that's really what, from, from my perspective, what unions are about. It's making sure that if somebody puts on an honest day's work, that they get, they have the ability to support their family, offer opportunity to their ki- children. And if something, something bad happens, well, first off, work in a safe environment, but then if something does bad happen, uh, uh, bad does happen, that there's some sort of support there uh, so so that their family is, is able to uh, survive in, in a reasonable way. No, I, we, well, we obviously absolutely agree. So obviously most people know, but just for those that might not, can you explain what right to work is and and you know we have this big bill that just got repealed in michigan let's start off with what it was and what right to work kind of is yeah i like to call it the anti-worker right to work law okay so so we 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 make sure that people understand what what it actually is and what it essentially is is it says if you know if you are in a state that has an anti-worker right to work law then if you are hired into a union shop or a union workplace that you do not have, not only do you not have to join the union, you do not have to pay a fee for the services that the union provides. So you essentially get to receive all the services of the union without paying any dues or any fees to actually support those services. So let's play the devil's advocate here. How is that not supporting them? Like, hey, if you get a job and you're qualified for the job and they want to hire you, why is that not a good thing? Why is it not a good thing that you don't get to pay, uh, that, that you don't have to pay the due? I mean, you have to, you have to support those services uh, in some way. So, I mean, it's like if you, you can make all sorts of analogies. Well, like you move into a condo and you don't have to join the condo association, but they get to come do all the stuff for you for free. I mean, that's, uh, it, doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. It's not a sustainable uh, way to operate any organization, right? Or think about it if we look at, you know, in terms of government, right? I would love to just not be able to choose to not pay my taxes, but it's not really fair to everybody else who is, right? I mean, you got to pave the roads uh, somehow and uh, being able to just opt out because I want to opt out is not exactly uh, fair to everybody else. Right. So now you were you were elected to the Senate fairly recently, correct? The Michigan yes. State Senate. Okay. And and as, as I'm reading, and please correct my timeline, my research, but this, now having the, the Michigan right to work legislation repealed was one of the very first things that you did in office here just in the last few months. Yeah. You know, uh, when we, some Democrats took the majority for the first time in 40 years in both chambers of, of Michigan's legislature uh, at the November election. So we, we officially took office in January. And when we took office, uh, both caucuses, the House Democratic Caucus, the Senate Democratic Caucus, introduced a series of bills that outlined major priorities that we wanted to accomplish uh, out of the gate. And those those included a, a wide variety of things that have really been important to Democrats and, and folks who, who supported us. Uh, and I'll just, I'll just run down through them. One, Michigan, under Rick Snyder a decade ago, increased taxes on seniors in order to give giant business tax cuts to corporations. Well, we repealed the retirement tax. Uh, we expanded. The, he also curtailed the earned income tax credit in the state of Michigan. We re-expanded that 
tax credit. Those were two of the first bills. We repealed the 1931 draconian abortion law that exists in the state of Michigan that suddenly came into force because of the U.S. Supreme Court. And we also expanded the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act to cover uh, LGBTQ folks. And then we also introduced a repeal of the anti-worker right to work law, which was enacted under Rick Snyder in, in 2012. And we uh, introduced bills and passed a, a reenactment of Michigan's prevailing wage law. And actually the bill that we sent to the governor that was signed by the governor is actually a stronger uh, prevailing wage law than we previously had had before it was repealed under Snyder. No, I mean, those are all, those are pretty amazing accomplishments, especially, you know, as, 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 you know, just the protection and concern for the people and the citizens. And that's, that's pretty, that's pretty admirable. But so I have a question just specifically referring to the, the right to work, or as you're calling it, you know, the anti-worker right to work law, which I kind of like that's, that has a good ring to it. You know, as I've, I was talking to, I was really excited when I heard about it. I was like, this is fantastic. This is amazing. And I was talking to, uh, to you know, some industry people, some union guys. And they're like, yeah, it's good. But it, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit posturing. It's a little bit pandering. It's uh, not pandering. I apologize. It's a little bit posturing. It's a little bit beating our chest. I mean, it's, I don't think it's going to change anything. The union shops are still running the way they were. The non-unions are still running the way. This isn't really going to change anything. And I'd, I'd love to hear why that might be the perception. It sounds so great the way you say it. Why are there hard union guys who are like, yeah, that didn't change anything. I, why is that the case? Well, so in, in relation to the trades, if you look at, at where right to work impacted unions, the trades were probably some of the least impacted, right? Like the, you, I, I talked to my business managers here and they may have one person who exercised right to work options. Now, if you look at other unions, the impact was much more significant. Uh, and really what it does, like it, it diminishes the financial capability of a union to organize. Now, how does that impact? I mean, so, so you're not having like an impact that is immediate, right? But the more unionization that we have across industries, greater strength there is to achieve pro-worker uh, policy, or it, it, that's both on a, not only on a political level, but on a negotiation level, right? So when we're raising standards around the workforce, right, it puts pressure on other companies when they go into negotiations to raise the standards for their workers as well, because you're not going to have access to talent, right? So, you know, sometimes I'll hear folks say, why should... You know, somebody working at McDonald's make 15 bucks an hour. You know, we, that means we can't hire people. Well, you know what? That puts pressure on your employers to, to increase the pay rate for your employees and your members, right? Tide raises all ships kind of thing. Exactly. So, so when other workers are doing well, your workers are going to benefit too because you're going to have an increased ability, increased leverage and negotiating power to to get things that your members need and to represent your members and make sure that they're, that they're earning a, a good, a good living. Yes. I, I would definitely agree with that. I think there's definitely a lot of good uh, to it, but for those union shops that, you know, cause you said, you're right. The, maybe there's only one or two people at some of these business managers referencing. It wasn't. So if we were just talking about labor and obviously you're a Senator for a whole state, there are other things that aren't just labor, but what can we do to increase 
to increase the union footprint, to get more organization, to get more buy-in. Let me step back, because I will say, despite the fact that this has a bigger impact than some, like uh, SEIU or, or UFCW, some of the strongest advocates in, in Michigan on repealing the anti-worker right-to-work law were, at, were folks from the trades. I'll tell you what, you know, laborers, operating engineers, IBEW, carpenters, they, they were constantly making sure that this was, that, that legislators knew that this was a big thing that we needed to get done. So I really appreciate the fact that while it didn't have an, like an immediate significant financial impact on them, they understood the long game and realized how important it was generally and made, and were huge advocates for, for, uh, repealing that law right now. I mean, and I could throw some numbers and stats, and they'd be you know paraphrasings and but basically the 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 simple truth of it, air quotes, is that we have the lowest union membership nationwide than we've had in fifty years. We're at an all time low, and so whereas clearly this this is an amazing ringing a bell of 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 good that we've repealed this in in the state of Michigan. What can we do not just to stop the decay? But initiate growth. What can we do to help the apprenticeship programs? What can we do to help the trades? Legislatively speaking, what's the move that will make the biggest impact? Yeah, I don't think it's one thing. I mean, when you look at the decline in union membership across our nation, right, it's been, you know, a 40, 50 year decline. And it wasn't one thing that happened that that caused that, right? It's been a series of things over time that have really uh, continued that trend. And, you know, in Michigan, uh, you know, it's, like I said, it's the first time Democrats have had a trifecta in 40 years in Michigan. I think we need to understand that reversing that decline isn't going to be a silver bullet. It's going to be one thing after the other. So it's, you know, we, you know, a decade ago, banned local units from entering into and requiring PLAs. Well, that's going to have an impact, isn't it? Right, a little bit. So we need to we need to take care of, the, of that of that piece. And there's a whole series of things that have been enacted over time, and we need to start chipping away at that. And, you know, and over time, as we start reversing that, and in over companies have been very good. And let me distinguish. We got we have good act we have good actors businesses that are good actors, and we have businesses that are, in my opinion, bad actors. And the bad actors have been very good over time at figuring out ways to attack unionization. And so let's let's take and learn some of the lessons on what they've been doing, right? Whether it's kind of the the ability to force employees to come listen to propaganda <laughs> when a union drive is occurring, right? You know, let's take let's let's understand what the tools are that they're using to push down unionization rates and let's enact some policies to take away those tools. Or give ourselves new tools to to address it. Uh, I, I think part of it is also making sure people understand the benefits of of being in a union. And man, when you're talking about uh, trade unions, that's huge. Uh, you, you know, I'll talk to uh, yeah, one of the first. I was a, I was a rep for four years before before I was in the Senate. And I remember sitting down with with my uh, uh, business agent for the roofers, right? We're talking about his history, you know, and him, he started out as a non-union roofer, right? And he thought he was making good money, but then you look at, th then he experienced or, or learned like what actually 
being a member of the roofer union is going to do for him in terms of having a pension, the health benefits, whereas you're just getting you're getting you're getting paid without any benefits in in one instance and then you're getting paid a similar wage plus all the other benefits and when you have a kid and you want to make sure that your kid and your family has health insurance you want to make sure when you're old you're not putting a burden onto your kids to support you because you have a you have a retirement that can support you i mean all these sorts of things that unions particularly trade unions provide to workers who wouldn't want to be in union? And that's actually, so I, I chair the labor committee in the Senate. So we, we had the hearings on both the, it, it was the same hearing on repealing the anti-worker right to work law and on reenacting prevailing wage. Well, what I did is I brought in union members uh, themselves to testify what the difference is between a union workplace and a non-union workplace, right? And yeah. so we had an operating engineer who had that ex- same experience, who talked about having worked non-union and then going to a union and now being able to do things and make sure he's protecting his family. We had a member from uh, uh, Plumber's Pipe Fitters Local 370. He was an apprentice who's coming in and talking about the the difference when he worked non-union and being an apprentice there versus going into the plumber's union and the training he's getting at that local uh, and, and the fact that his dues supports that training, right? If we're talking about right to work, should you be able to should you be able to to freeload on that when the dues are what's paying for your training, right? So I mean, all these there's all these pieces that we need to be more effective when we're organizing about what is the actual benefit of being a member of a union, and it's immense. I try to make sure that as I'm talking to folks, you know, we knock on a lot of doors. As when, when you're running for office, you knock on a lot of doors to talk to people. And people talk to me about good jobs. So you know, I'm. I'm, I'm welding at whatever, uh, you know, small uh, tool and die shop, but uh, I'm not able to make enough. Why? Well, you know, I'm going to ask you, have you decided, have you, have you thought about taking your skills and going, going to the iron workers local down there on Joyce Drive? Because <laughs> I, I bet you'd be able to uh, get a better living you, you're in, if you're working with them as opposed to where you're working now. I, you know, I love all of that. It's very, you know, true. It resonates with us a lot. But let's let's flip it around real quick from the instead of looking not down at, but like look, instead of looking at the ground level, the, that guy, let's look up. You know, if if you're if you're one of these people at, at the big car company, you have a lot of industry and industrial. You have lots of manufacturing in Michigan. You have lots of things that need to be built and things that need to be crafted. And you're a big owner and you have an opportunity to hire company A at X dollar or sign this PLA at Y dollar and Y dollars a little bit more. And that's, I got to explain that to my board. I have to, why union construction? Well, it's, it's a great question. It's actually an issue that we address in the committee hearing too, when we're talking about prevailing wage, right? Because why, why are we going to pay more to workers on these public projects? It could cost the taxpayers more. Well, you know what, actually in the end, it costs the taxpayers less. So not only are you doing the right thing and making sure people are getting paid uh, a good wage and they're getting benefits, you're actually reducing the cost of the project. Because the labor cost, in terms of a total construction pro- uh, project, you know, you might be talking about 25% of your cost, right? And so maybe you're going to pay a little bit more on that labor cost, right? But you're not going to, the, the amount that you're going to have to redo is going to be a lot less than when you're hiring unqualified or unskilled workers to do a job that they, that they don't have the capacity to do right. 
And so it's it's the same reason that I wear car hearts, <laughs> you know, it's because I know the the coat that I've had for 10 years is a good coat that was made well. I could have bought a cheaper coat, but I would have had to probably buy five coats instead of just the one that's 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 lasted me, right? It's the same thing with construction. You're paying qualified workers uh, a good wage in, in with benefits, but it comes out in the quality of the product and the quality of the work that they're doing that in the end reduces your own costs. It's the poor man's tax. You got to be you either buy a $50 pair of boots every six months or a $300 pair of boots every 10 years. And that math doesn't math, but sometimes if you only have $50. So I agree. It's, it's about getting the, the work done right the first time. I guess kind of just in conclusion, you know, you guys have done this 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 big thing. And like you said, it's not a can, thing. Can it's I one of things. For, can Please. I step back for a Because there's another benefit that I think when we're talking about you using union labor, there's another benefit to companies. If you're not using union labor, you're probably paying for all that training yourself. Right. And when you're using when you're using union trades, that training, that training is done by the trade through their dues. Right. And it's being done right because the the interest is, I mean, I've been to these, I've been to labor's training center, I've been to operating engineers, I've been to carpenters, right? There's no company that has training centers like these. You are essentially having your workforce training costs subsidized by your workers. And not only, not only that, the training that they're getting is you know head and shoulders above above anything that you're ever going to be able be able to do unless you're you know and maybe if you're you're a, you're a giant multi-million dollar corporation if you wanted to invest you could do something that level but it's just i just don't think you can beat the the value proposition for for a company i would tend to agree with you but we, we are the association of union constructor constructors so i would say i'm probably not the most unbiased person but you know, we here at Talk, we deal exclusively with the construction industry. And, you know, I, I agree with what you said earlier. It's not going to be one thing. It's not going to repeal this law. And that's the magic button that fixes everything. You know, there's a lot of things moving forward. And I think with what you guys have done, you know, repealing right to work, you know, the anti the anti worker right to work law is is a step in the right direction. Do you think this is signaling a shift or positive movement in the right direction? What's that next step? What's the what's the vote that people need to make next that we do? Well, so first, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that are signaling a shift across the country. I mean, we have been on a long trajectory of, of decreased unionization rates, but we're really turning turning a corner. And when you look at public opinion and polling on unions, it's the best it's 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 been in my lifetime, okay? People realize the val are realizing the value of unions, and they're wanting to join unions more than they have in in, in a very long time. And so, you know, I think there's lots. In now, each state's a little different. So the the road that we need to hoe in Michigan is is a little bit different than what it might be in you know New York, or uh, it's and that's going to be different than than what needs to happen in you know North Carolina. Every state is in a different place. We have a long list of things over the past 20 years that have been enacted. And so there's restrictions on local government's uh, ability to put in provisions that uh, make sure workers under their contracts are, are being treated fairly. There's restrictions on PLAs. You know, we need to make sure that when we're doing our economic development projects, that the labor that's being sourced 
for building, you know, the next EV or electric vehicle plant, battery plant, you know, that these, as we're putting out taxpayer dollars, that those developments are being done by workers who are receiving uh, appropriate compensation and benefits. You know, quite frankly, we're in a generational shift right now uh, when it comes to our energy sourcing. So, you know, if the big thing happening is all these uh, solar uh, farms that are being developed and all the uh, renewable energy developments that are occurring, this is, you know, on a nationwide basis. Well, uh, I'll tell you, a year and a half ago, the development just one county over along the county line adjacent to my district, they were shipping people up from uh, St. Louis, Missouri that were non-union doing that development. Well, we need to we need to make sure that we're putting requirements into place when when we're doing we're going to be rebuilding our electric infrastructure that this is being done the right way and compensating the workers appropriately with benefits and you know preferably done union and and so I mean I have bills uh, I have bills that have been referred to committee that that deal with these various issues I've introduced bills making sure that we're using licensed folks for <laughs> for. For work because when we're shipping them all out of state you know they're they're not licensed to do work in michigan and and we we also have we're talking about our licensed trade we don't have the uh in michigan one of the issues we have is, is we may have the laws but we're not enforcing them you know we have local building inspectors who are not uh you know making sure that apprentice uh, journeyman ratio is there for this work or that the apprentices are actually being supervised if they even are apprentices. So there's a lot we need to do on enforcement of the laws that we already have that were put in place uh, to pr protect folks and make sure that uh, construction is being done right. So there, there's a long list on the construction side. There's also long lists on uh, on other stuff. I mean, I'm also working on a bill. I, I, wh where are you from by, by chance? So I'm a military brat. If you were to throw a dart at a map uh, of the a globe, frankly, <laughs> I've lived probably within about 100 miles of wherever you hit. I've been to 47 states, nine countries, uh, I everywhere. So a lot of folks from other states are shocked to hear that uh, our correction officers, the folks who work in our, our state prisons, back in the 90s lost, uh, they were moved over to defined contribution plans, so they lost their, their pensions, right? So uh, working, I, I introduced a bill with a couple of, of my Senate colleagues to move them to our state police retirement system uh, because, man, that is – you talk about state government jobs that are rough. Uh, being being a, a prison corrections officer, uh, when you're talking physically, mentally, emotionally, hugely demanding, probably the most demand, one of the most demanding jobs in, in state government, and we can't retain our, our corrections officers. I wonder why, right? We, we, we cut all their benefits off, and, and so we're spending uh, $25 million a year trying to – recruit people to be corrections officers. We lose half of them the first year that they come in. Such a tough job and the benefits are horrible. Uh, maybe if we invest a little bit more in our benefits, we have to spend less on advertising and on training people, right? It'd probably pay for itself. Yeah, it's it's funny you bring that up. I So I, I'm, in the, the, I'm in the Army Reserve as well. And one of the things I do is, is a similar thing. I'm a public affairs officer and I was working with some recruitment and things like that. It's like, if we fix these problems, recruiting, like these problems over here, the problems are not recruitment numbers are down. The problem is this other thing. If we fix that, the recruitment numbers would go straight up. Like, so yeah, no, I, I hear sometimes you have to fix the problems and recruitment isn't the actual issue. Right. It's not a messaging problem. It's a, 
It's a reality problem. Right. It's not a messaging problem. It's a reality problem. No. Well, sir, I really appreciate your time today. I, I you know, you awesome insight. I think you're right. I think that uh, I think we're heading in a new direction. I think it's going to be positive uh, overall. But it's 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 these it's these small victories, even if, you know, no matter it's these small, medium, large victories. You know, sometimes they're they're going to be crushing blows and sometimes they're going to be small things. But it's all moving in the right direction. And we just thank you for helping. Well, and I'll say, you know, it's the first time in 60 years a state has legislatively repealed an anti-worker right to work law. Now, it, for, for me, that's a pretty darn big victory. And the fact that we were able to get it done, because the opposition on that is is significant. We were able to get it done means we're going to be able to get other stuff done, too. And so, it, you know, it, it's it's about creating some momentum to make sure that we're we're providing uh, greater benefits to workers, really. And not every state's been able to do that. Like Nevada had a trifecta uh, that they just lost in the recent election because they, they changed governors. And during the time of that Democratic trifecta, they didn't they didn't repeal their right to work law. Same thing in Virginia. Yep. Which is where I currently live. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah. And so hopefully, you know, with what we've been able to do, we can start to see other states when they when we do have that opportunity that they will have the the willingness to to make that change themselves no and i i certainly didn't mean to imply that you know this is a huge victory and this is great i'm just saying that it's it's not the light switch of and we're done i'm just saying no that it's, no it's certainly the, not it's, a momentum it's the builder. first step and it is going to trigger some momentum in the right direction and no i really thank you for your time and i i hopefully we get to talk to you again on the next victory and the one after that I'm looking forward to it. Hey, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we will talk again. Oh no, no, I'm not going to let you end this end this quick because there's another piece that that we okay. that we need to do that that I think helps both the workers and and uh, union contractors as well. Okay, we need to deal with, we need to deal with payroll fraud issues in, in, that's particularly relevant in construction, like misclassification of 1099s. It, what that does. It, not only is it hurting the worker who's getting misclassified, it also hurts the the good actor, good actors in the business because if the other companies are misclassifying folks, you know they get to 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 you know come off as 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 low cost, right? And it puts the folks who are doing right by their employees at a competitive disadvantage. We that's something that I'm hoping this spring before we'll we'll have a summer break that happens in July. I really, I really want to make sure before we go on summer break that, that we're doing some stuff to make sure we're tackling payroll fraud issues because that's just it kills workers and it kills good businesses. So now stepping, I'm, I'm, I will follow you down that rabbit hole. <laughs> just I am now off script. I don't know where this is heading at all, but let's let's find out how big of a problem is that? And I don't mean how bad is it? I mean, prolific how how widespread i don't mean how severe is that a is that something that is happening everywhere is that happening a few places but it's really bad like talk to me about that i think we're going to find out soon i know our attorney general is working on a lot of stuff uh, on payroll fraud we were able to previously get some dollars in the budget for for our attorney general to do work on going after folks but part of the problem she's having is we our statutes are not strong enough for her to enforce. And we will really see the rubber meet the road when we're able to get some changes in the statute to address that. And until you've really had the investigation, you don't know how prevalent it is. You hear stories here, you hear stories there. 
So, I mean, we've had folks, I, I've heard stories about it, you know, folks who didn't get paid and all these things, but until you actually have the investigations that are done, you're not going to be able to know the true scope. But we'll, you know, I expect we make changes, you know, five years from now, we're going to know how bad it was. Well, I, uh, you know, that's a conversation I will look forward to knowing more about because absolutely, you know, there's, I, so again, I'm just in research of things, there's a lot of times that you can point at something and say, that's a horrible problem. And you're like, is it? But then you've, or other times you don't necessarily see the crack in the foundation until it's a real problem. It'll be interesting to see what that investigation reveals. Thank you again, sir. This has been great. And I look forward to our next conversation. You've just listened to the Construction User 2.0 podcast from the Association of Union Constructors. Don't forget to subscribe to get all future episodes of what is going on and what is current in the union construction and maintenance industry. 